when Miss Paulette showed me that video, it reminded me of something I heard some years ago that uh, this fellow was out fishing, and he his boat broke down on him. He ended up stranded out in the ocean, and he started praying, God help me. And before too long, Red Cross comes by in a, in a ship, and they say, hey, you look like you're having trouble. Can we help you? And he said, no, I'm praying about it. And then uh, they left. So a few, few hours later, the Navy comes by in some big ship, and they say, hey, you look like you could use some help. Can we help you? And he said, no, I'm praying about it. And they left. And a little while later, a Coast Guard helicopter comes by and they drop a rescue swimmer down in the water, swims over. Hey, you look like you could use some help. We're, we're trying, you know, we're offering some help. And he says, no, I've been praying to God. I'm, I'm waiting on him to help me. And they said, okay, you know, your, your call. And he swam away, got back on his helicopter and they left. A guy ends up stranded and He's sure enough stranded. He ends up dying and he ends up in heaven and he gets a chance to talk to God. And uh, he said, God, I don't understand. I prayed for you to help me. And he said, I sent you a Red Cross ship, a Navy ship, and a helicopter. I don't know what else to do. Sometimes we just want to do it our way. We want God to do it our way. And that's part of our struggle today. If y'all would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to see how it works, how it happens our own way. Another quick story, a few, few several years ago, uh, one of my best friends in the world, Tommy, his, he, uh, he was a wildland firefighter, worked for the forestry, and was out west in California on, on one of the big fires, and uh, as he was getting ready to come home, asked me if I'd pick him up. This was when we were living in the Macon area, so I drove up to Atlanta, and I picked him up, and he got in the truck, and he is in some kind of a tizzy. And I'm, I start listening to him and realize that when he had a layover, and during his layover, he stopped to grab something to eat at a restaurant in the airport, and on the news on this big TV in, in that restaurant is about a helicopter crash that killed a bunch of firefighters, killed nine firefighters. There, was on the, there were guys he worked with on the fire he was out in California. And he was, he, was, he was angry, he was upset, he was frustrated. And when we got in the truck, he just wanted to talk. And he just started letting it go. He's one of my best friends in the world. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell him to be quiet. So I turned the radio off, um, I turned my GPS off, and I just listened to him. And he's just pouring it out. And we drive for a while, and pretty soon we see a sign that Tommy asked me a question as we go past, he says, did that just say Chattahoochee River? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I've been listening to you. And then we saw the next sign that said, welcome to Sweet Home Alabama. You see 75 and 85 come out of, of Atlanta, and I was supposed to get on 75, but ended up on 85, and we got a detour. The decision that we had made impacted our destination. That's the point of this series, the path. That's what we do. The now impacts the later. We make decisions right now with all the knowledge, all the intentions, all of the experience, skills, and tools, and they impact tomorrow. Last week, Pastor Mike explained how our quest for happiness 
can cause us to make decisions that we regret. Decisions that impact us later down the road, down our, our paths. Another illustration of the path principle that direction, not intention, determines our destination. This week, submission is the focus. Andy Stanley explained in the book, in chapter 6 of the book, a travel mishap he had similar to mine and Tommy's. We had ignored the GPS. We ignored our experience. We had ignored the road signs, and we were way off track. In life, our failure to trust or submit to God can lead us to unintended destinations as well. But instead of wasting an hour or two, it takes years sometimes to correct or deal with the detour in our lives. Once the decision's made, we're in it. We're there. You can't go backwards. You can't change time. There's no flux capacitor and a DeLorean and 88 miles an hour that's going to fix it. You're there. It can't be unmade. This is why it's critical for us to make the right decision up front. Then Andy, in the book, he asked the all-important question of how. How do we make that right decision? The point of this message on the screen for you says that choosing the right path begins with submission, not information, not even direction. It's submission. Submission to God, followership, is key in our lives. However, we have a problem. That problem is called independence. We want to do things our way. We want God to do things our way. We're completely okay when God's will matches our will. But when His will stretches our comfort zones, challenges our way of thinking, we set out on our own course, go our own way. Today we're going to look at an example of that in Solomon's life. He was David's son, came from a noble, honorable heritage. He had himself had become the king, had all the riches, the wisdom, the resources, unequaled at the time. He thought he knew better than God. God gave him instructions. He rebelled, left a submissive lifestyle, and none of the things that characterized him were enough to help him. It cost him, it cost the nation that he led ultimately. So consider this, as wise as Solomon was, he messed it up. What chance does a knucklehead like myself have if I try to go out on my own? This is the guy who asked for wisdom when he became a king. There's a degree of wisdom in even knowing to ask for wisdom. For any of you who are in the same boat that I am, you have teenagers at home, you know that asking for wisdom isn't a thing that the wise do. They already have it. Ask them, they'll tell you. But, but knowing that wisdom's necessary really is, that requires wisdom already. Solomon was there, but he knew that the wisdom he had wasn't enough. Wisdom and information, they're, they're not everything that we need. It's not uncommon for somebody to have all the knowledge of right and wrong, 
but they lack the ability to do the right thing. You don't have to teach a three-year-old to lie. They know right and wrong, and they're, gonna, they're going to lie. You don't have to teach a six-year-old. that They did it as the three-year-old. They got punished for it, and they still want to lie. And you don't have to teach a 36-year-old. I could keep going, but the point is that we either never learn right and wrong, or we do, and we just can't do it on our own. That's what we're going to see in, in 1 Kings today. 1 Kings chapter 11, we see the example in Solomon. He had wisdom. He had all the things. He had God's instructions. A solid example in a father, but they weren't enough. They couldn't keep him on the path. King Solomon, however, that word however, we didn't highlight it on the screen, but it's important if you were to go backwards and read through the first 10 chapters of 1 Kings, you would see David growing to the end of his life, one of Solomon's brothers deciding he was going to take over the kingdom, asserting himself as king, and then that got getting found out, David not having passed on yet, says, no, it's not going to be this way. Solomon's going to be the king. He rightfully put Solomon on the throne, and then we have a, a clash of brothers immediately. From there, you see a number of years pass. Solomon asks for wisdom, and he starts building things in the kingdom. The temple's built. His palace is built. And, and there's a great degree of detail in those, in those first 10 chapters that explains how the, how the temple was built, the materials used, how the palace was built, the materials used. They were unequaled, completely first class, amazing structures. But Solomon had a problem. King Solomon, however, he's going somewhere different than all the things he, he had done prior to this. He took a turn. He loved many foreign women. That many, if we were to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, we're in the middle of a section of scripture where, where God's giving instructions about kings. And he says, don't have many wives. The reason being, you're king. You got plenty on your plate already. If you have many wives, you don't need that much more on your plate. Your heart will be led astray, is what the scripture says. And then foreign women on top of that, Deuteronomy chapter 7 addresses this thing. We see a quote of this in the very next, uh, in the ne very next verse, in verse 2, that we're going to read in just a moment. What happens when th the foreign women get involved? There was polygamy that was, that was you know, part of the issue, but the main thing was paganism. Is these foreign women who worshiped pagan gods were going to influence God's people through their king. Saying, don't do this. Love many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites. Here's that quote from Deuteronomy chapter 7. You must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts. And turning your hearts is the warning of rebellion. When you fall from submission, what can happen? Turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, here's the confirmation. It's the hook. He did it. 
Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. The results had become reality. The, the, the warning had become reality. And then we see as Solomon grew old, so his path earlier, I said, instead of just a couple hour detour, it takes years to overcome these things. As Solomon grew old, he's still dealing with this decision. His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. So we, we see that principle in Solomon's life happening right now. His, his, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtor, the goddess of the Sidians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. This is like telling a child not to stick a fork in a light socket or in a wall outlet. When they do it, as a parent, you still care and you, you, you check on your child, but I told you so becomes an appropriate response. Solomon eventually learned from, from his situation, from the decisions he's made, and he, he gave us some instructions. He gave us uh, the, uh, the Proverbs, these wise things, uh, wise sayings, so people could glean things from his experience. This is why Solomon offered the wise instruction that we've been using as kind of our, our, our verse for this series, the Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Again, Solomon eventually learned when we do things our way, we end up in a bind. Despite him being wise, he didn't always apply that wisdom in his own life, and he paid for it. He was respected as a king, remembered again as a wise man. And it's important to remember that a wise man said, not most of your ways, all. All of your heart is what he said, this wise man. He left no wiggle room. So in dating, in marriage, in entertainment, in morality, in education, in your professional lives, in your financial obligations, all of your ways should be submitted to God. Prior to giving that all your ways, he quantified the areas of life there that, that should be submitted to a, a path to a submitted path, is to trust in the Lord. This is how that begins. Trust in, your, in the Lord, not your own understanding, but trust in God. It's big for the, one of the wisest men ever to assert that. I'm not going to trust in myself anymore. I'm going to trust in the Lord. When our understanding, when our way, when our will, when the thing we want conflicts with God's way, he's saying that we need to lean into God's way rather than our own. Solomon's pleading with you. When you want to marry someone outside of your faith, he's saying, God said, don't be unequally yoked. 
when you're considering same-sex attraction, he's telling you, Scripture says a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. When you're considering entertainment in your home, he's telling you, he's pleading with you, let there be no filthiness. When you're considering educating your children, he's pleading with you to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. When you're thinking about your professional working lives, he's telling you whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. We could go on and on with topics like this that Scripture applies in our lives. It gives us instructions. It gives us the way to go about doing things. Solomon had all of that. He didn't trust God for guidance, and it cost him. So let's dissect that a little bit. He had the warning about the wives, both many and foreign. It's not just a warning for him. It's a warning for God's people because so a leader goes, their nation will go. They're following him. But one of the reasons in that culture that marrying like that was, was so popular was the need for alliances. When, when a king marries a princess from a different nation, you end up with two nations that have become, they have a commonality. So the war that might have happened between them, the chances of that are way reduced because there's a family connection. Doesn't mean that family doesn't fight, but it's less likely. And Solomon used that tactic. He used a cultural thing to secure his, his, his nation. But again, if we were to go back and read the 10 chapters prior to that, he didn't need it. He had all of the security he needed. He had all of the army pieces that he needed. He had all the wealth. But whatever it was, lust, fear, pride, whatever motivated Solomon, he decided this is what he was going to do. It gave him heartache and grief. Look, we're coming up on the holidays. We end up spending time with our families. Solomon had 700 wives. I preface this, love my mother-in-law. I don't need 699 more. And she doesn't need 699 more me. What was Solomon thinking? This guy, whatever his reasoning was, he was leaning on his own understanding and not God's and his heart became compromised because of it. Because submission, not talent, information, insight, none of that. It's submission that's the key to good decision making. His decision turned into a path that ended up having a destination. That path, again, whether influenced by fear, pride, lust, whatever those things, whatever his thing was, those things can override wisdom, intelligence, insight, discernment, and even godly instruction. If Solomon needed something, 
other than his own intu- intuition to protect him from a misguided decision. How about you? The wisest man ever needed something other than all of the wisdom he had to keep him from making bad decisions. How about you and me? This story should give everybody here a reason to think about how we make our decisions. Nobody in their right mind would deliberately sabotage their own life. But if the wisest among us have the capacity to do it, there's got to be a better way. Here's a way of looking at this. If you go on a trip, you get online, book your airline tickets, get your your taxi set up, your, your Uber set up, get your hotel, all that kind of stuff all planned out. You go on your trip, you get to the airport, you get on the plane, and the pilot makes an announcement, something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to whatever, you know, American Airlines flight, whatever. We're headed to New York today. We're going to be flying over Charlotte and somewhere in Virginia. I'm not real good at geography. <clears throat> That's the right direction, I think. Um, And you say, you know what? I'd rather see Dallas and Las Vegas. So you get up and walk up to the flight deck, and you say, hey, Captain, can we see Dallas and Las Vegas instead? And this guy goes, what are you talking about? I'm the pilot. I'm the one who knows where we need to go. Yeah, but I want to do this my way. I kind of want to see those things. And they tell you, go sit down, and you you go sit down, and you get your flight on. Then you get to the airport and you get your taxi or your Uber or whatever, and they get the route all set up. They know where you're going. You're headed to your hotel, and you decide, hey, I really want to see this thing along the way. And they say, look, you're probably not going to see it anyway because traffic's horrible at this time. Um, let's, let's go this way, get you where you need to be, and you know, here's some good times. It would be good to go do that. And you say, no, I'm, I'm going to make a demand. I want to do it this way. And you never get to see it because, lo and behold, they were right. They're local and they're experienced with the traffic patterns there. And you didn't get to see what you wanted to see because you couldn't get in there because of traffic. You get to your hotel, the penthouse suite's not an option. But you want a room that faces the ocean. Maybe we're not going to New York. Um, <clears throat> the, the clerk at the counter says, hey, you know, we've got two rooms that face that direction. If you want to see the ocean, I recommend the one on the sixth floor. It's on the corner of the building, but that's the one I recommend. And you say, nope, I want the other one if it faces the ocean. And they say, okie dokie, have it your way. So you take your little card, scan your way into your room, you get there, and you're on the first floor, and right outside your patio is a big commercial air conditioning unit. And if you had taken that one on the corner on the sixth floor, you'd have had the ocean view. It was just on the corner. But you wanted it your way. Here's the issue. We see submission in our culture as a negative thing. I looked up some synonyms to to submission as I got ready for this. Some of them, obedience, that doesn't sound terrible. Compliance, still not not terrible. Surrender. We're getting a little, there's some negative, a lot of negative connotation with surrender. Deference, giving in. 
We see surrender, excuse me, we see submission as weak. But have you ever taken a test without instructions? A teacher or professor gives you a piece of paper and says, here, take a test. There's no instructions on it. You don't know if it's a math test or a writing test or what. You don't know how long you have and what you're supposed to do. Or maybe you take out a mortgage to buy a home. The bank approves you, but they give you no terms. Sign here, you're approved. No interest rate, no payment numbers, none of that. The truth is that we don't want those things because there's no boundaries. Rules and boundaries are part of what we naturally want in life. They're good. They help us know where we're going. They keep us on the path. Following instructions is what submission is. It's not weakness. Submission to God should not be seen as a negative. Submission to God should be seen very positively. We each have a choice. We can submit to God or lean on our own ways. We can acknowledge God in all the things we do, or we can pick and choose. Those are the choices that we have. If you submit, as Solomon wrote, he'll make your path straight. He'll make the choices obvious. There won't be blind curves with no headlights. Everything will be clear. God gives us that clarity through Scripture. He gives it through us, to us through instructions in the Bible. He gives it to us through wise counsel of people who spent time in Scripture and, and, and getting those instructions and knowledge in the Bible. He gives it to us through biblical teaching. He gives it to us in an authentic relationship with Him. That's why we push here the need for church, the need for worship, the need for the plus one ideas. Because these are the ways you get an authentic relationship and they're our gateway to submission to God. Andy Stanley ended this chapter, chapter 6, with three questions. He said, why do I hesitate to give God full access to every part of my life? What's keeping you from it? What do I fear will happen on the other side of that decision? What's going to happen? What's the most difficult area of my life to yield control? What are you holding on to? All of the information in the world's not enough. Solomon had it and couldn't keep it together. If you want godly direction in your life, you start with submission. Submission to God gives the boundaries we need in life on the roads of life, on our path, rather than struggling to be in control on the shoulders of the road. Submitted lifestyle, that's the key to staying on path. Pray. Father, we thank you for the example you give us in Solomon's life. We thank you for the wisdom that he gained through experience.
Lord, we ask you to help us use that. Help us, help us be wise as well. But God, we pray more even so than wisdom that you help us submit and follow you. Help us be different. Help us walk the way you call us to. Father, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, Grace Community Church, y'all have a great week.